should go day in and day out going forward. And I'm so, so excited about uh, the days ahead. And so let's open up our hearts right now to the Spirit doing a great work uh, through his messenger. Brother Van Gelderen, come and bring the word. Word of God tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter 10. And as you're turning, let me mention a few more books back there at the table. Last night we dealt with Friendship with the Holy Spirit. Uh, That message is expanded into, uh, I don't know, six, seven chapters or something like that in this book. Believe it or not, that message could have been longer. (laughs) But uh, at any rate, uh, this goes into uh, some of those truths we dealt with and expands it further, some other things dealt with. There's a chapter on the Holy Spirit as our guide. We talked about at the end of the message, uh, yielding to him as the senior partner following his leadership. Well, that means we need to recognize his leadership. So how do you discern the difference between your own strong desire, your human whim, Versus the holy wind of God. Beyond that, how can you discern the difference between the Holy Spirit and evil spirits? Satan comes to counterfeit as an angel of light. And so that chapter goes in uh, to uh, some Bible truth that gives us discernment to understand the Spirit's leadership in our life. Then there is a book on the table called The Revived Life. This would take uh, the same emphasis that we've had in this meeting, but it would expand it much further. Uh, it's just a, it's a progression of truth going into even more detail on the Spirit-filled life. Starting with that heart that's hungry, that's longing for more, then into the provision truths of the cleansing power of the blood, the enabling power of the Spirit, and then the authoritative power of the throne. We're going to look at some of that tonight, uh, at least in part, uh, but that chapter here goes much deeper. And then how do we access this into the overcoming life and how to take the way of escape? That uh, emphasis is what we're going to look at tonight as it ties some of these truths together and then on into the overflowing life. And then there's a final chapter that kind of puts it all together on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And uh, that is a truth that we kind of run from, uh, but uh, as it is taught in the Bible, we must embrace. And it's a wonderful, wonderful truth. Then there are some materials on the table that deal with the matter of uh, the gospel in the sense of witnessing uh, the good news to to sinners. We've been dealing with the good news to saints these last few days. Uh, But uh, when it comes to the gospel to sinners, we have a course called Netcasters. It's the Spirit for Life Applied to Witnessing. And uh, there's a work, uh, there's a whole workbook back there. There's DVDs and uh, so forth. And uh, Lord willing, in a few months, we're going to have this available as a net pack where it's all put together and uh, so on. But here's some of the pieces. Uh, this is what we call the Netcaster's View Book. Uh, this would be a flip chart kind of format, but uh, it's just the gospel presentation. And it's meant for you to kind of just uh, fill in the, the gaps. But if all you did was awkwardly read it, it still makes sense. In fact, I just a few days ago, a preacher in uh, New England called me. I'd been there last fall. And he, uh, somebody in their church gave this to an unsaved relative that they've witnessed to for years. Now, it's not really meant to just give to the unsaved person. It's meant for you to use as a tool. But the Spirit of God used it anyway, and the guy got saved. <laughs> so that's really neat. Uh, I was in a meeting in Philadelphia one time, and a, a fellow came up to me. He said, you know... I want you to meet my son. He said, last night we walked through this together and the Holy Spirit opened his eyes. He trusted Christ. I want you to meet him. And that was a joy. And uh, so uh, I remember one time a fellow called me. He said, John, I haven't been to the the NET seminar. That's the NETcasters Evangelism Training Seminar. He said, but I got your uh, view book. And he said, I just went through it with an unsaved, uh, middle-aged, religious, moralist couple, husband and wife. 
Just took our time, walked through it. He said the Holy Spirit opened their eyes. They trusted Christ. So hallelujah. So that's a tool that can be used that way. Then uh, we have on the table, these are in packages of 25. We call it the how track. At the bottom it says discover how to have eternal life. Obviously this can be used as a gospel track where you give it to a lost person. But it can also be used like the view book as a flip chart kind of thing. In fact, it's the very same presentation, essentially, just formatted differently. This is very colorfully done. And uh, it's amazing, actually, how many of the words from here are actually in here. And so though this looks much smaller, this has become our staple piece of Netcaster training, and many have learned to trust in the power of the Holy Spirit and uh, lead their first soul to Christ. In fact, I tell people with these tools, look, if you can read and if you can trust in the power of the Holy Spirit, these are simple tools uh, that uh, you can use. Then the same presentation is formatted in a home Bible study format where people uh, can fill in the blanks. They can do it with you. They can do it on their own. You meet with them afterwards. And uh, same gospel presentation, just different ways of uh, getting people, uh, getting the gospel to people. On the uh, table as well, I didn't bring it up here, but there's little cards. They look like business cards. They're packages of 50. And they are, uh, we, call, uh, we call them, uh, I call them tracked cards. They're not tracks, uh, but they get people to the gospel in the sense that they, uh, we have uh, two websites uh, one is revivalfocus.org. That's where all of these materials are, are available. But then there's Salvation Focus. And uh, that is the gospel presentation in written, audio, and video. And so those little cards, uh, sometimes you don't have time to witness, but you just give them that little card. It's got a QR code, and they can get straight to the gospel presentation that way. So if you have any questions, feel free to see us afterwards about that. We do have a website, uh, revivalfocus.org. We have a blog there, and I uh, have conferences and things of that nature. And uh, if you're interested, uh, you can find us there. What a joy to have been here these few days. I've uh, been looking forward to this, and now we're to this last night, but I have thoroughly enjoyed uh, preaching to you folk and getting to know your pastor and just uh, catching the heart of what God's doing here. Uh, you know, uh, it's, it's wonderful as a preacher to come in and have an audience that's hungry. It's wonderful to preach to eyeballs instead of eyelids. <laughs> That's really the truth. Uh, but uh, at any rate, it has been a delight to have the hungry hearts, and I can sense that God's already been on the move long before this meeting rolled around, and uh, that's a thrill. And uh, so I appreciate uh, the effort. I know it takes an effort to come and be uh, here on an evening like this when you've got the work day, early mornings, and all those kinds of things. Uh, but uh, been a delightful audience to preach to. Speaks well of the ongoing ministry that's taking place here. And I have thoroughly enjoyed getting to know your pastor and his dear wife and family and uh, just, uh, I'm thrilled that God keeps, uh, he keeps stirring various individuals uh, and opening their eyes to the power of the Spirit of Jesus. And uh, we've just had wonderful fellowship together and uh, today uh, as well with uh, uh, Brother uh, Mike. And I uh, just, uh, just enjoyed it. And uh, so uh, it's been a mutual enriching time and uh, we've been grateful, we are grateful for the privilege of being here and looking forward to what the Lord will continue to do, obviously, in the days ahead. Uh, we uh, are uh, heading now out of California, so we're heading back into winter. <laughs> uh, <laughs> unbelievable. Not too excited about that part. Uh, but uh, uh, we start a meeting in West Kansas on Sunday. And so we'll be uh, traveling over these next few days. And then we're in Oklahoma, Iowa, and then into, uh, I think, Wisconsin and so forth. And then i got to get to New York City by June and uh, so on. So that's how it works for us. And so as the Lord brings us to mind, we do appreciate your prayer. There are some prayer cards there on the table. Well, we've been looking at what it means to be filled with the Spirit of God and knowing it. 
uh, looking at truth by truth, that focus, uh, what it looks like when we're aglow with Jesus, the provision for that, Galatians 2.20, uh, uh, unfolding that. And then last night, uh, going uh, into that relationship that all of that opens up uh, with the Spirit of Jesus and the need for our surrender to Him as the senior partner. But that is also that we can access His life, and His life is the overcoming victorious life. And so we want to go further tonight into where it all goes and actually layer in one more truth in the process. So let's look at our text tonight, 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 13. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God is faithful, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above or beyond that you're able, but will with the temptation also make a way to escape, that ye may be able to bear it. See, that's the overcoming life. <laughs> there is this way to escape. Now, at the end of the verse, when it says that God will make a way to escape, technically, there is a definite article before the word way. So the emphasis is the idea that God will make the way to escape. And I want us to understand that the way to escape is a person. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way. And we're going to come to that as we get to the end of the message. The fact is, it is Jesus himself who is the way to escape. He is the overcoming life. There's only one overcoming life. His name is Jesus. And he moved into us, and we're in him. So how does this play out? I want to speak tonight on the overcoming life, how to take the way to escape. In the face of temptation. Shall we pray? Lord, we do, again, thank you for your goodness. Thank you for this dear pastor and this people and this assembly, Lord, that you've raised up in this part of the world. And Lord, I pray that your light here would shine ever brighter. And Lord, that you would continue to bless this church. And may many be reached with the gospel of full salvation. Not only freedom from the penalty of sin, but freedom from the power of sin this side of heaven. And so once again, Spirit of the living God, would you open the eyes of our understanding, enlighten the, eye, the eyes of our heart to see the Grand Canyon realities of truth that connect to the amazing words that are before us tonight. And so I plead the blood of Jesus once again to protect us from the attack of the evil one who would seek to hinder, who would seek to cloud, who would seek to get in the way and distract. And so, Lord Jesus, I claim our position in you, far above all principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named. And in your name, that is above all names, I exercise your authority over any powers of darkness that would seek to hinder. And this time, entrust you that that not be allowed. Lord Jesus, may your victory be gloriously manifested tonight. And we declare that you are Lord and Satan is defeated. So you, may you be honored in this service. We thank you for it in Jesus' name. Amen. In 1966, our family moved from Durango, Colorado to the south side of Chicago. What a radical change. <laughs> Wouldn't you know, I'm four years of old, old, and we're leaving Colorado. <laughs> you know, the mountains and the ski slopes and the horses and, and all of that. And straight into the city limits of the south side of Chicago. And that has meaning for anybody who knows 
Chicago. <laughs> well, at any rate, uh, a couple of years later, we took a vacation back to Durango. And as you head uh, west from Chicago, uh, you finally get to Denver, and then you take Highway 160 uh, southwest through and over some mountain passes. And one mountain pass is called Wolf Creek Pass. Now, in those days, late 60s, maybe early 70s when this was, Wolf Creek Pass was a two-lane road, and it was scary. Today, it's a four-lane highway, so it's not nearly the same. But in those days, it was a two-lane road, and the way I remember it is that it was very narrow, <laughs> and uh, so narrow that I remember as a kid looking out the window, and you couldn't see the edge. Uh, there really wasn't much of a, of a shoulder, and sometimes you're just looking down. <laughs> and uh, we were driving in a station wagon. And I realize the children in the church today do not know what a station wagon is. <laughs> but if you'll ask your grandparents, they'll explain to you the concept of a station wagon. Actually, there's a few being made today. Uh, but we're in a station wagon, and I'm number four in a lineup of li uh, five siblings, so I'm relegated to the back of that station wagon. And as we began to wind our way up Wolf Creek Pass, some of the older siblings were making intentional comments uh, for the uh, purpose of scaring the younger siblings, and it was working, <laughs> and I was scared, and uh, when we were on the inside lane next to the mountain wall, that was somewhat comforting, when I was on the outside lane, and especially those spots where there you couldn't see the shoulder, and sometimes there really wasn't a shoulder at all, which meant you didn't have a guardrail, not that it's going to help if you lose your brakes in the downhill anyway, but it's kind of comforting to see that thing out there, and uh, so there were times when you're just looking out, and you're looking straight down a thousand feet or whatever it is, and so I was kind of, I was kind of nervous about all this. Well, we crested the top and began to make our way down. Obviously, you're familiar with mountains in California. And on the way down, they have every so often placed strategically those escape ramps. And especially for uh, the 18-wheelers and those pulling heavy weight behind them, we pull a fifth-wheel trailer. I used to pull about 20,000 pounds. Our present RV is about uh, 15,000 pounds, so it's... <laughs> It's a little bit lighter, but still, if, uh, and uh, we don't, uh, we have an automatic, not a, uh, a manual, so you, you feel that weight pushing you down, especially if you're 6% grade, and uh, especially if it gets more than 6%, I mean, it's shoving you down, and when those curves come up, if you were to lose your brakes, you would go right off, and so obviously they have these escape ramps uh, for uh, those who actually get into that, that kind of brake trouble. And uh, so on. Well, I was in that section of it all when I heard my parents and my siblings suddenly gasp with a gasp of horror that I knew was no longer a joke. I saw everybody's gaze a certain direction looking down. And I put my little face in the window, follow their line of gaze. And here you're looking over the edge. You can't see the edge of the road. But down in this ravine was an 18-wheeler just smashed, flattened. I would assume the driver killed, perhaps because he did not take the way of escape. Now, friends, this text tells us on the road of life, yes, there are some dangerous moments, but God makes the way to escape. And you and I must learn to always take the provision of God's way to escape. Now, how can we be sure not to miss out on this way of escape? 
Well, it all revolves around this relationship with Jesus that we've been talking about because he is the way. But tonight, to help us understand this, I want us to see that there is a customized provision. We're going to spend the majority of our time on that part of the message, and then at the end of the message, we'll look at some qualifying principles. Now, what do we mean when we say a customized provision? Well, it says here that God makes the way to escape. In other words, he forms that escape ramp exactly to fit that curve in the road where temptation is hitting us. What I mean by that is this. God provides the way to escape according to the kind of temptation or the type of temptation that we are facing. Now, broadly speaking, temptation comes to us through the world the flesh, and the devil, and or the devil. But specifically, there are three approaches that the world, the flesh, and the devil take. And we need to understand what those approaches are so that we take the Bible truth that is the Bible provision that fits that approach of temptation. I'll explain First of all, there is temp- there's three approaches we're going to look at. First of all, there's temptation that approaches us through apparent causes. What I mean by that is there are times when you and I are tempted and we know exactly where it's coming from. You can see it. You can hear it. In some cases, feel it. In some cases, smell it. <laughs> and so on. In other words, it's temptation that comes to us in the physical realm. It is in the sensory realm. It comes to us. It approaches us through apparent causes. It's in the realm of the seen or the senses or the physical realm. That means these are not direct attacks from the enemy. They would be at this point indirect attacks through worldly or fleshly snares. Now, ah. When a hunter who uses traps or snares uh, goes and sets his trap or sets his snare, he doesn't sit down right next to it and pull out his lunch and wait for the animal to come while he's sitting there right next to it. No, the trap is set. The snare is set. He goes his way and comes back later to see what he's caught. Satan is a master hunter for the souls of mankind. And Satan and his cohorts have had several thousand years of history to practice. And they know how to put traps and snares in our world system. The world in which you and I live every day, this physical realm, this physical world. And they put these traps and these snares that they know from millenniums of experience appeal to our flesh. And according to Ephesians 2, they work through our flesh. They work through that old master that we talked about a couple nights ago uh, uh, to try to get to us. But it does not necessarily mean there is a demon sitting there. No, often the trap is set. They're on to something else, knowing the trap has its own appeal. For example, this is a city area, a billboard. 
A billboard can trigger temptation. Now, that, not every billboard is bad by any means, but there are some billboards that can trigger temptation, sometimes perhaps to covetousness, other times perhaps to vice or some addiction. And very often they are triggering the temptation to impure thinking. Okay, well... When you see a billboard like that and this temptation is triggered, you know where it's coming from. It's apparent. That's what I mean. It's temptation that approaches us through apparent cause. Isn't Satan a master at using the venue of pictures, advertisements, posters, uh, in some cases to actually trigger temptation? How about irritating circumstances <laughs> you ever have those <laughs> you know you stub your toe or uh, you know maybe your thigh catches a corner of a table like this <laughs> and it sinks in deep <laughs> I remember one time I was in a house with some people we were fellowshipping and they had some food and this fella got up and he was taking his plate uh, out of the living room back to the kitchen and right there at the doorway uh, out of the living room there was a little sofa table but it had the, the pointed corners and he wasn't watching and I mean I could almost feel it as it went into his thigh and I remember watching his face <laughs> and he kind of slunk his body around the corner so that his face could do what it wanted to <laughs> you know stuff like that happens and we could be very tempted to just flat out get angry lose our cool uh say things, and so forth. But when that temptation happens, that triggers, uh, that, that situation, that circumstance that triggers the temptation to impatience or anger, we know where it's coming from. There's a physical circumstance. It's apparent. How about an abrasive comment somebody makes? And it triggers the temptation to respond with a harsh word or with derogatory sarcasm. And you're good at it. That takes experience, by the way. <laughs> well, again, it's an apparent cause. Okay, so what do we do? All right, let's tie into what we saw two nights ago in Galatians 2.20. The provision of your regenerated spirit, that's the real you, and then the Holy Spirit of Jesus, the Spirit of the living God who's moved in to lead and empower you. In other words, the foundation for faith is the person of divine ability Christ in you through the Holy Spirit I live yet not I but Christ lives in me notice though the end of the verse says dot 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 by faith okay so the foundation for that faith is Christ in you ah that person of divine ability his divine life the overcoming life himself and by faith, we can access that principle of counteraction. Remember that? The stay-in-the-basket concept? Uh, Romans 8, verse 2, The law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. It doesn't mean the law of sin and death is no longer there, but we're made free from it. The greater law counteracts and overcomes the lesser law. If ye through the Spirit do put to death the deeds of the body, ye shall live, Romans 8, 13. Now, our responsibility is faith. To use the word that some of the uh, preachers used 100 years ago, our responsibility is appropriation. You say, what in the world is that? Well, to appropriate means to take. 
I say, why don't you just say take? Well, appropriate sounds kind of cool, don't you think? <laughs> but uh, the simplicity is, it means, just means to take. So it's that, uh, you know, that we, we noted that faith can be broken down into faith steps. And sometimes the faith step is simply to take. So in this case, Christ is already in you. You don't have to ask him to be in you. If you're saved, he's already there. But you must take the provision of his divine life. Appropriate that divine ability to counteract and overcome the world and the flesh. You take his provision so that when you act, it's not just you. It's the overcoming life of Jesus in you to counteract and overcome that world flesh issue that's in front of you. So you're taking what is being provided, trusting him for the power to obey, to act on it in the situation that is in front of you. Now, in the financial world, we understand appropriation. Suppose you have a checking account, and suppose you actually have some money in it. <laughs> now, when you go to the bank, and uh, it's your turn to go up to the teller, is it going to work to give a speech where you wax eloquent with great emotion uh, as to why they should give you $500. Well, <laughs> they're going to quickly escort you out of there. But if you have that little piece of paper with your account number, the right information, then you simply appropriate. Now get this, what is already yours so that you can use it. You take so that you can act. Okay, when you got saved, the bank account of heaven moved in. His name is Jesus. And we have the privilege every time there's a new need in a given day to go back and appropriate. Take what's already ours so that we can act on it, so that we can spend it. In other words, so that Jesus can burst forth through our personality and counteract and overcome the issue that is in front of us. This is not try harder. This is not suppression. This is taking the provision of Christ in you so that when you act on it, you're trusting now so that when you obey, it's not just you. It's the power of Christ in you, animating you. Let's go back to our illustrations. Here's the billboard. Let's say it's the temptation uh, uh, that triggers a temptation to think impurely. And we can take your purity, Lord, now, it's not a mantra of words. It's taking. And you know, since he is giving, thanks be to God who is giving us the victory, it's the same idea as Christ living in you, when you take, you ought to say thank you because you ought to be courteous. <laughs> but the real point of that is that thank you means you believe you have received. That's why Paul says in Romans 7, after all the frustration of trying to do the Christian life thing without the Holy Spirit. <laughs> and he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who should deliver me from the body of this death? He says, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord. And as one man puts it, you thank your way out of Romans 7 <laughs> to get into Romans 8. In other words, you take, thank you, Lord, so that when you act, it's not just you. So back to our illustration. You take him. Life. Well, his life is purity. And again, it's not a mantra of words, and, and it's not, okay, oh, what did he say? I started to say thank you. No, it's, it's I'm taking, Lord, thank you. And then when you act, here's what happens you're free to look the other way. And as I said the other night, be free from what you saw as if you didn't see it. 
Now, that's not the same as just acting, where you just obey without his power. And, okay, you, oh, there's something bad over there. I'll look over here. And so, yes, you strive, and you look over here, but your heart is back over there. And every man in this room knows exactly what I'm talking about. But, friends, when you take and act, and just throughout a day, there's all sorts of things that happen, and we have the privilege of just taking grace, taking Jesus, thank you, Lord, and you're free to look the other way and be free from what you saw as if you didn't see it, and you can go through the marketplace and you can go through the workplace and at the end of the day be unscathed. Jesus, the way to escape. Well, how about the provoking situation, the irritating circumstance? Same idea. Thank you, Lord, for your patience. And he enables you to respond with that, that soft answer that turns away wrath or, or to respond patiently, whatever the, the need of that moment is. How about the abrasive comment? I remember one time I was talking to somebody and they were being extremely abrasive in what they were saying. And I thought to myself as I'm looking at them, I thought, wow, you know, I am standing here. I can hear what you're saying. <laughs> I mean, do you realize how, how, how ugly all this is? And, you know, the temptation is to condescend this person. And I remember in my heart, not out loud, just saying, your love, Lord. And immediately, my perspective toward that person was completely altered as the love of Jesus was shed abroad. I'm going to tell you something, friends, I can't do that, but Jesus can and when we take your life, your love, your purity, your, your, your wisdom, we take and then when we act, we're empowered by him. And the fruit of the spirit of Jesus is manifest, whether it's patience, whether it's purity, whether it's love, there's the answer. So that's divine ability to be victorious in the physical realm or the realm of the senses. Now, that's pretty much review to what we had two nights ago at the end of the message on Galatians 2.20. Let's go to us. Not every temptation comes through apparent causes. So let's go to a second approach. How about temptation that hits us through non-apparent causes? Well, you are tempted, but you can't point to a billboard. You can't point to, you know, the corner of the thing uh, digging your thigh. It's not apparent. And yet you're tempted. What's going on? This is temptation from the realm of the unseen as opposed to the realm of the seen. Non-apparent as opposed to that which is apparent. These are direct attacks from the enemy to your soul, primarily. And primarily your mind, or especially your mind, and or your emotions. Now, the Bible calls this, in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 16, fiery darts. For example, sometimes you can be, you know, in a day where everything's fine, and then later on in the day you just feel really discouraged. And you don't know why. Well, where did that come from? It is a fiery dart being hurled right into your emotions. Recognize it. Depression. That's a big one. 
discouragement with no reason. Uh, darkness that you feel. And you're thinking, what in the world is going on? What is this? Okay, it's a fiery dark. How about, here's another example. How about spiritual dullness? Now, sometimes when we're incomplete in our honesty with God, that leads to spiritual dullness. But sometimes spiritual dullness is simply an attack from the enemy into your soul. Where you just, there's this dullness spiritually and yet there's no sin issue. Recognize it. How about wrong thoughts? But there's no trigger that you can see. No apparent cause. Um, for example, maybe you're at the workplace or maybe you're at home and you're, you're focused on something, you know, and you're concentrating. And as you're concentrating on something, another series of thoughts comes rolling across your brain that's not good. And you're thinking, good grief, where did that come from? Well, where did it come from? See, it's a fiery dart. I was in a, uh, I think it was uh, Wyoming one time, and a fellow said to me, he said, yeah, he said, he said, right when you were preaching on, it was a message, the gospel service, and the Lord led me to preach a message on hell. And uh, he said, right in the middle of the message, he said, I'm hanging on every word. I want to hear it all. And he said, suddenly, my mind was bombarded with vile thoughts. And he looked at me and said, do you think that could have been from the devil? <laughs> well, now think. He's not walking through a, a mall where there might be triggers all over the place. You know what I mean? He's in church. It's a gospel service. The message is on hell. We're in the middle of the message, and he wants to listen. That's a fiery dart. How about fear? And there's no apparent cause. Worry, and there's no apparent cause. These are examples of fiery darts. Now, what do we do? Here, the foundation for faith is different. It's still the person of Jesus, but there's, it's a different truth. Now, we have to understand we need the right truth for the right battle. Uh, just like in uh, you know, World War II when... When France set up the Maginot Line, and so Germany just went around another way. Okay, we got to understand, where is this temptation coming from so we have the right truth that's appropriate to deal with it? That's what I mean with this customized provision. Now, what we've looked at so far was the person of divine ability, Christ in you, to deal with the world and the flesh, the sensory realm down here. Now I want us to see the same person, Jesus, but the person of divine authority. To deal with up there. You say, what do you mean by that? In other words, we're no longer talking about the physical realm. We're now talking about the spiritual realm. When I say those direct attacks of the enemy to your soul, we're no longer talking about the sensory realm, the physical realm. We're talking about the spirit realm, the spiritual realm. Okay, that's the realm we're talking about. So now, it's not the truth of Christ in you. It's the truth of you in Christ. This person of divine authority. Now, the passage that unfolds this, and we could spend a whole lot more time than we're going to be able to spend tonight, but it's in Ephesians chapter 1 and chapter 2, and it's so neat because it tells us there in verses 19 and following that God displayed his mighty power, and he uses all these power words, when he raised Christ from the dead and 
seated him at his own right hand. That's the throne. That's authority. And it goes on to say, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this world, but in that which is to come. Chapter 2, verse 1. And you. And this is what we often miss. Grammatically, chapters 1 and 2 are connected. It's one big, long flow of thought that's going on here in the inspired text. And it's telling us that God displayed his mighty power when he raised Christ from the dead and you. And when he seated Christ at the throne and you. Why? Because chapter 2, verse 6 goes on to say that we are raised up together with him in Christ in the heavenly places. Now, phrase in the heavenly places in chapter 6 is translated when it was referring to the enemy spiritual host of wickedness in high places that's the same word as in heavenly place it's the spirit realm okay so in that realm God displayed his mighty power when he raised Christ from the dead and you let me stop right there and let's just say this the head and the body must of necessity be raised together. <laughs> and that is the exact imagery at the end of Ephesians chapter 1. So God displayed his mighty power when he raised Christ from the dead and you. And when he seated Christ at his own right hand and you. Far above all principality and power. In other words, in the spiritual realm, Christ sits far above. And we're in him. You remember the other night we made a big point that when you believe on Jesus as your Savior, among many other salvation truths, the Holy Spirit places you into Christ. Remember that? Now, friends, when you got placed into Christ, you got placed into his history. We emphasized two nights ago that means we got placed into his death. We were crucified with Christ. And we're placed into his resurrection. But Ephesians tells us we're also raised together with him, raised together with him, and um, excuse me, and seated together with him in Christ in the heavenly places. So not only are we placed into his death and resurrection, and this is amazing, we are placed into his exaltation. God displayed his mighty power when he raised Christ and set him at his own right hand, and when he raised you together with him, and seated you together with him in Christ, in the spiritual realm, the heavenly places. Now, often when we think, okay, in Christ, at the throne, yeah, 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 uh, that's figurative. No, it's not. It's literal. It's just that it's spiritual, not physical. But it's just as real as if it were physical. Friend, do you realize right now, physically, you're in, where are we? Redwood City, California. <laughs> I'm in a different place every week sometimes. I don't know where I am. People call and say, where are you? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> but uh, at any rate, uh, physically, we're right here in Redwood City. But do you know for every child of God in this audience, regardless of your age and regardless of how long you've been saved, if you are a child of God in the spiritual realm, you're there. You're in Christ. He's at the throne. Now, the spiritual realm doesn't have the physical boundaries, the geographical boundaries 
that we have in the physical realm. That means you can do spiritual warfare from right here with the powers of darkness in India as if you were there. Doesn't have the geographical boundaries we know in the physical realm. Okay, so the Bible says we're in Christ. And this is emphasized actually more than the truth of Christ in you. We are in Christ. We sang it tonight, in Christ. In Christ alone. We, we sing these words, we read these words, but understand, no, we're in them. And friends, he's at the throne. God displayed his mighty power when he raised Christ from the dead, and you. And when he set Christ at his own right hand, and you. See, you're there. And as one author puts it, Ruth Paxton, missionary to China, 1930s, in Christ, we are as far above the powers of Satan, the power of Satan, as Christ is. Now, if we were in Alabama, we could shout hallelujah. <laughs> they even pull out hankies and wave them when they get excited. <laughs> and uh, uh, so forth. Uh, you know, <laughs> I'm going to tell you, friends, it's shouting truth. We're in Jesus. And he sits far above all principality and power, which means in that realm, you and I are far above all principality and power. But we have to access this by faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. So here we have the person of divine authority, and by faith, we can access the principle of counterattack. You see, we talked earlier about the principle of counteraction, like the greater law counteracting and overcoming the lesser law uh, as in the uh, hot air balloon. But this is the principle of counterattack because in Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16, it says, and that's the same book, based on all this provision, we can lift up the shield of faith which quenches, it puts out, it counterattacks all the fiery darts of the wicked, which literally means the wicked one. So our responsibility is the exercise of faith. Appropriation. Take the provision of Christ's divine authority to counterattack and overrule the powers of darkness. Now let's let this sink in a bit further. We have the privilege of claiming our position in Christ at the throne far above the enemy. Now friends, if God says we're there, then we're there. So this is not me naming it, name it and claim it. No, this is God naming it. So that you can claim it. You see, we're in Christ at the throne, so we can take, we can claim, we can appropriate the protection that we have in Christ at the throne and then act on it, exercise delegated authority uh, to extinguish the fiery darts of the wicked one. You remember in Genesis, when Adam and Eve sinned, we had that first prophecy of the cross, and we're told there that the day would come when the seed of the woman, Jesus, would bruise the head of the serpent, Satan. For us, that's past tense. A few hours before the cross, in John 16, uh, verse 11, he says, the prince of this world is judged. In John 12, 31 and 32, again referring to the cross, the prince of this world uh, is cast out. Hebrews 9, 24, the Lord Jesus through death destroyed, which means rendered ineffective him who had the power of death. That is the devil. Again, through death, the cross. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, uh, again, speaking of the cross, it says that Jesus made a public spectacle. Uh, the word is spoiled. He, he disarmed principalities and powers and made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them in it. In other words, triumphing over them in the cross. The point is simply this. 
Jesus won the victory over the world, the flesh, and the devil when he said, it is finished. Now, God has chosen for that to be fully manifested in the book of Revelation when Satan will ultimately be cast into the lake of fire forever. But you and I need to understand something. In the spiritual realm, it's true right now. In the spiritual realm, Satan is at a disadvantage because in that realm, he is totally defeated. That's why he doesn't want you to know what you just heard in the last seven minutes. That's why a lot of people have never heard it yet. Satan doesn't want God's people to know this. He doesn't want a child of God to know that this isn't based on 50 years of living for God. This is based on the moment you're saved. You're in Christ. You're at the throne. And you have the privilege of exercising his authority over the enemy. Now, understand the authority is not ours. It's Christ. But it's ours in him. And that for us it is a delegated authority. At the end of Ephesians 1, we talked about the head and the body. Okay, let me ask you a question. Can a body function without a head? I've seen a few chickens try. <laughs> Out on a ranch when they chop their head off. And then, the, you know, running around like a chicken with their head cut off. That's where it comes from. And they do run around, but they drop. No, a body cannot function without a head. All right, here's a follow-up question. Does a head function without a body? Does it? No, it's not a true question. No, okay. <laughs> I've never seen a head function without a body, have you? Okay. Now, Jesus is the head. We're the body. That is the exact wording, imagery in Ephesians chapter 1, this very context. It's his authority. He's the head. But we have to exercise it. We're the body. Often, we're asking God to do what he wants us to do. See, it is our privilege to exercise his authority over the enemy. Jesus said in Matthew 18, Whatsoever you bind on earth, shall be bound, the verb tense is amazing, shall have been bound in heaven. Why? Because Jesus already won it at the cross. And whatsoever you loose on earth shall have been loosed in heaven. Wow. Now, I realize there are people who go beyond what the Bible says, and it makes us afraid of this. And there are people who are, you know, exercising authority and commanding birds and trees and whatever, whatever. Okay. The authority is not in the physical realm, so that's a misunderstanding. The authority is in the spiritual realm. But where the spiritual realm interpenetrates with the physical realm, when you exercise authority in the spiritual realm, it'll have ramifications into the physical realm. Uh, one of the authors from 1930s, John McMillan, gives the illustration of uh, delegated authority with a police officer in uniform at an intersection directing traffic, and here comes a, a, a truck that could just mow him over. And he goes like this. <laughs> well, physically, he can't stop the truck. 
right? But the badge, the delegated authority, <laughs> he can stop the truck. Now, friends, on our own, you and I are no match to Satan. But I'm going to tell you something. We have delegated authority, and the authority is from Jesus, and Satan is no match to King Jesus. And we have the privilege of going like this. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Wow. There it is. And uh, so much more. We're just uh, uh, kind of just uh, touching this. But there's this amazing uh, provision. So when that happens, there's the counterattack. The uh, shield of faith quenches. It puts out. It extinguishes. If all the shield of faith did was deflect fiery darts, soon you would be surrounded by flames. It doesn't deflect them. It counterattacks. It puts them out. They're gone. Totally extinguished. All right. So let's, let's, let's apply it. How about discouragement? How about you wake up in the morning? Wow, you know. And uh, you uh, have some time with the Lord, and boy, he speaks to you, and you speak to him, and boy, your heart is full. Wow, and you're buoyant as you walk out and, and uh, head to work. And then about three hours later, it suddenly occurs to you, man, do I ever feel discouraged. Okay, stop and discern what's going on. Is there anything in the realm of apparent causes that might tempt you discouragement? Oh, yeah, I just got fired. <laughs> well, okay, go back to Galatians 2.20 and take the provision. But if you're sitting there thinking, you know, there's no human reason to get me discouraged, then it's not in the physical realm. It's in the spirit realm, the spiritual realm. It's a fiery dart. Recognize it. And the moment you do, you, you have the privilege of saying, wait a second, I claim my position in Jesus. That's taking. And I reject this discouragement. That's acting on it. You have just lifted up the shield of faith. You have submitted yourself to God. Why? Because you're in Christ. And when you resist the devil, he has to flee. In other words, when you, based on your provision, you claim that provision and say, I reject that fiery dart of discouragement. And at that moment, it's quenched. And you will sense a lift in your spirit that is discernible. Hallelujah. There are times, sometimes I'm, sometimes I'm so slow, and I'll go through a period of days of just, you know, feeling, you know, just under it, discouraged, kind of depressed. And, uh, you know why? I don't know. And then it hits me, oh, yeah, you preach on this even. <laughs> and when you claim your position in Jesus and you reject that fiery dart, if you've pegged it right, it's gone. Now, he may come back five minutes later to test you. But when you have already sensed that lift in your spirit, you know that's what it was. You hold the ground. 
See, Christ already won all of this. It's just a matter of our taking the provision and exercising his authority. How about the spiritual dullness? I was in a meeting in Pennsylvania, two guys on Sunday night. Uh, we were talking afterwards, and they were bemoaning, yeah, you know, I, I read my Bible every morning, but I'm not getting a thing out of it. I mean, the last couple of weeks, it's just been just sheer going through motions. And so I asked him, well, have you asked the Lord to search your heart, see if there's any issue that way? Yeah, yeah, but there's nothing. I said, ah, oh, you're not dealing with a sin issue. You're dealing with a fiery dart. And I began to explain to them this concept. And at the end of the week, both of those men, both of those men gave testimony in a final service in that meeting that uh, they had uh, exercised the Lord's authority against this fiery dart of spiritual dullness and were immediately freed from it. And every morning that week were reveling in their fellowship with God. That's what it was. Man, hallelujah. How about the wrong thoughts? Here you are, and you're focused on this, and all of a sudden, this thought to go murder that guy. Well, there may be a reason for that, but no. <laughs> I shouldn't even joke about it. But these other thoughts come through your brain, and you're thinking, good night, where did that come from? Ah, recognize, wait a second, that's the enemy. I claim my position in Jesus, and I reject that. And immediately... It's extinguished. The counterattack, the fiery dart is put out. Fear, worry, whatever the case may be. So not only is there divine ability to be victorious in the physical realm, Christ in you, there's divine authority to be victorious in the spiritual realm, you in Christ. But there's a third approach I want to mention. And that is temptation that approaches through combined causes. Sometimes there's temptation from both the unseen and the seen together. You say, what do you mean? Well, sometimes the powers of darkness will take something that is in the physical realm, but they'll magnify it. And that's in the unseen realm. Honing in on you to pull you down off the position of faith in Christ at the throne. So I said a moment ago, Satan doesn't want us to know what we're talking about. At all. And uh, so, you know, if you're walking in the flesh, you're no threat to him. That's why the spiritual life is so vital. But you begin to walk in the spirit, and now you're in the spiritual realm. So that's where you are a threat to what he thinks is his turf. Okay, so you can go beyond walking in the spirit to warring from the throne. Well, he didn't want you to do that. So he may take something and just hone in on you, magnify something, distort something to just pull you down off that position of faith so you're no threat to him. So combined causes. Let me give you an example. Satan is a deceiver. He has many forms of deception, uh, but one of those uh, would be distortion. For example, the offensive comment somebody makes to you. Well, you know, it happens. But a lot of times, it's really not that big of a deal. I mean, they shouldn't have said it, but it's just a bump in the road. But what if in the unseen realm, a magnifying glass is put over that little offensive comment, and it doesn't look like a little offensive comment. It doesn't look like a bump in the road. It looks like a mountain-sized offense. And that's the way you see it, even though that's not what it is. If you don't discern, and if you get carnal, you might respond with all the fury that that mountain-sized offense can draw out of you. And you're going to be thinking, man, what's the matter with you? Don't you think this is at the bottom of a lot of church splits? 
Distortion. It's huge. Huge. Distortion. Sometimes you're shopping and there's this inordinate attraction. You've got to buy this now. Well, now think. Impulsiveness is a sign of the flesh. Compulsiveness is a sign of the enemy. Compulsion, where you push. Now remember, the Holy Spirit leads. So if you're driven and you're pushed, it's not the Holy Spirit. And so if there's this compulsion, you've got to buy this right now. Reject it. And every husband said, amen. (laughs) (laughs) Excessiveness is a sign of the enemy. So this inordinate attraction, let's apply it this way. Suppose there's this inordinate attraction to someone of the opposite gender, and you're a married person, and this is not appropriate. Are you with me? Okay. So here's this inordinate attraction to someone of the opposite gender, and this is inappropriate, and if you thought about it, they're not even attractive. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> you see how the enemy works? Distortion. Sometimes there's excessive fear. Now, there are things that could make us fearful, but when it gets excess, excessive, the enemy's in it. Sometimes it's one of these combined causes things. Uh, John McMillan, this missionary in China, he and his son, his son loved the water. He loved the boats. He loved the, all of that. But, but one day a storm came up and, the, and uh, the son was, uh, normally he would enjoy all that, but he was just excessively fearful. And Macmillan realized, wait a second, this isn't his norm. This is the enemy. And so he claimed his position in Christ at the throne and exercised Christ's authority over any powers of darkness targeting his son. And immediately his son calmed down. And the next day the storm got worse and the son was on the upper deck just reveling. (laughs) Wow. How about excessive anger? Now there are things that can cause us to be angry and we need to take the provision of Christ in us to deal with that, the first provision. But the excessive part... Okay, here's the combined cause. One time, McMillan, same guy, uh, said that he was in the in the the, the mission station and the other side of the wall, thin walls, and uh, you could hear. And his husband and wife, missionaries, were having a spat. And he said, normally they were very calm and and they they were not like this at all. But he said it, it, it got loud. He said it was totally out of character for these dear people. It's excessive, and it hit him. This is the enemy. So they didn't even know he can hear. He's on the other side of this wall. And there from his chair, he claimed his position in Christ at the throne and exercised the Lord's authority over any powers of darkness that were stirring up this anger between his husband and wife. And immediately, their volume subsided. They reconciled and went on with the work of the day. Now, friends, hallelujah, we have some provision to be protected in this kind of thing. How about distraction? Well, things can happen that are distracting. But you know when it gets excessive? Guess who's involved? See, the enemy. I remember when I first learned this. Um, I was getting ready to go to Asia on a big trip, a couple of weeks. And uh, my son and I needed to get a haircut. 
And, but there was some stuff I needed to study because I didn't want to have to bring these books with me overseas. And so I thought, well, when John Jr.'s in the chair, I'm going to be studying and so forth. And this was a barbershop that I'd actually been to before. That's unusual for those of us who travel. <laughs> We're always at great risk. Uh, but at any rate, uh, we got in there, and I put John Jr. in the chair and, and so forth. And, and uh, we got uh, uh, him going, and I pulled up my books, and I'm, I'm studying away. Well, they had a TV hanging on the wall, and when we were there before, it was just a fishing show or a ball game or something like that. And as I shifted my weight and happened to just glance up, it was vile. And I thought, oh, you're holding this, Lord. And okay, I was freed to get back to my work, but uh, then, you know, I'm kind of antsy, as you can see. And so (laughs) I shift my weight. There it is again. Ah, you're holding this, Lord. Now, God was granting freedom but I was losing my line of concentration every time that happened, and you lose time. And I didn't have a lot of extra time. And after about the fourth or fifth time, I thought, you know what, this is a pain in the neck. <laughs> and I got to thinking, because I had just learned some of this. I thought, I wonder, I mean, obviously we have something in the physical realm, there's a TV hanging on the wall over here. But I wondered if there was something in the spiritual realm as to why that wicked show was on in this barbershop at that moment. I didn't know for sure, so you don't want to give ground if it's not there, but I just simply said, and I didn't say it out loud, I'm sitting in the barbershop, but in my heart I said, Lord, if Satan has anything to do with why that's on right now, I claim my position in you at the throne far above the enemy, and I exercise your authority over any powers of darkness that are behind this. And at that moment, the barber, guy in charge of the barber shop, uh, he, uh, he, he, uh, he had a shaver going up a guy's neck. You know, barbers are calm, you know, and you know, they do this all day. At that moment, he, he, he visibly began to tremble, he began to shake. And he pulled the shaver away from the guy's head. I never did check the back of that guy's head uh, to see what happened. But uh, he pulled away from that guy's head, put the shaver down on the counter, grabbed the remote control, and changed the channel to something decent. And I wanted to shout hallelujah because God stepped on the stage. Now, friends, we have this amazing provision, Christ in us to deal with down, down here and us in Christ to deal with the spiritual realm. You say, well, what if you're not sure if it's physical or spiritual? Just apply truth and whatever works, that's what it was. Because truth always makes free. That brings us to some final thoughts. So there's our customized provision. Christ in you, you in Christ, and uh, we can deal with these various approaches of temptation. But some qualifying principles. Do you know that what we're talking about with the way of escape, it's time sensitive. The text says, there's no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. In other words, you're not the only one tempted with whatever you're tempted with. Others are as well. But God is faithful, who will not suffer or allow you to be tempted above or beyond that you're able. Let me stop right there. Have you ever felt tempted above that you're able? In other words, have you ever felt tempted and it seemed overwhelming? And it just seemed like, oh, I know I shouldn't, but I don't have a choice, you know. Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Now, we're a little bit hesitant, to be honest, because, you know, we just said, God is faithful, who will not allow you to be tempted by the grave. And yet we're thinking, wow, in our experience, it sure seems like it's beyond what we're able. So what's wrong? The key is understanding the last third of the verse. But 
will with the temptation also make the way to escape that you may be able to bear it. So when does God make the way to escape? It's with the temptation. In other words, the moment you're tempted, tempted, that's where God places the escape ramp. That's your window of opportunity to take Jesus and escape. But if you pass it up, you're in trouble. In other words, temptation hits us, and we may think, uh, you know, the flesh says, go for it, and, and you're thinking, no, I shouldn't, and uh, the flesh says, go for it, you really want this, and you're thinking, no, no, I'm not supposed to do this, and so you're in this battle, and you just have moments. Somebody says, how much time do you have? One guy said, four seconds. Well, I don't know, but you do have the opportunity to make the right choice. <laughs> but what happens is, sometimes as you're deliberating in your heart, maybe not outwardly, but in your heart, you begin to follow after the temptation. Now, the moment you did that, you sinned in your heart, which means you just passed the way of escape. But because you haven't committed the outward act of sin yet, that's when it seems overwhelming. That's when it seems like, oh, man, I don't have a choice. It's because when you did have a choice, you made the wrong choice. Did we get it? It's time sensitive. Take the way of escape immediately. Because if you pass it up, then you've missed it. Now, you can get right with God, but you've already sinned in your heart. And so uh, the point is, uh, take it immediately so that you escape instead of go down into the, uh, the sin of uh, the temptation that you're tempted with. So it's time-sensitive. Secondly, the way of escape is preventative. It says the way to escape. Now, think. That means that what we're talking about is a matter of prevention, not correction. It's preventing going down into the sin, not correcting it because you did. It's escaping. Does that make sense? So it's prevention, not correction. That means the way of escape is a matter of deliverance. Now listen carefully, not confession. Now, there's a time for confession. There's a time for honesty. It's needed when you do enter into the temptation. Now, let me ask you a question. Is temptation itself sin? No, Jesus said, pray ye that ye enter not into temptation, indicating that the temptation itself is not sin. It's whether or not you enter into it. And praise the Lord for that, or we'd all be had. <laughs> okay, so confession is needed when you've entered into the temptation in heart, or obviously an act. Confession is for cleansing in those times that you did not take the way of escape. But here's the point. If you're tempted, but you've not yet entered into the temptation, if you confess, you just entered into the temptation. You just said, ah, uh, that's me. You just owned it. Now, wait a second. Didn't we all just agree that the temptation itself is not sin? then why is it that many of us, many in this room, I would suspect, the moment you're tempted, you start confessing? And when you do, you enter into the temptation because you're saying, that's me. You're owning it. And instead of getting relief, you go down. I used to do this all the time. Because you get, you're hit all day long. So what are you doing all day long? Confess, 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 confess. By the end of the day, you're pummeled. <laughs> And it is a joyless Christianity. But what we're talking about here is not a matter of confession. 
Because when you do, you're owning it. You're saying, that's me, when that's not you. You see, this is a matter of rejecting it, not accepting it. It doesn't matter if it's coming from the world, the flesh, or the devil. It's not you. And therefore, it must be refused on the basis of Christ's provision. Now, think. When Satan and his cohorts hurl a fiery dart, is that you? No. So, though... In other words, they may hurl that fiery dart into your mind, but just because that thought is in your mind doesn't mean you've sinned. It's only if you embrace it and go down that path. Otherwise, we'd have no hope. Does that make sense? See, many people think, well, just because it's in their mind, well, I must have sinned. I don't remember choosing this, but there it is. Well, no, no, wait a second. You're going to be pummeled by the enemy if that's the case. You have the privilege of saying, wait a second, that is not me. I reject that. I claim my provision in Jesus. I claim my union with Jesus. How about if the temptation is coming from worldly snares or worldly traps? Is that you? No, that's not you. So you have the privilege of saying, I reject that. That's not me. I claim my provision in Jesus. Okay. How about if your flesh feels the pull towards some temptation? In other words, there's temptation trigger out there and you feel the pull. Do you know what I'm talking about? Whether it's to get angry or uh, whatever the case may be. Okay. Is that you? Remember two nights ago, your spirit used to be joined to that old master of indwelling sin. That the moment you believed on Jesus, you were placed into Jesus, his history, therefore his death. And you died with Christ. You were crucified with Christ. You got severed from that old master of indwelling sin. Remember that? Raised with Christ, the new man, righteous and holy, and the Holy Spirit moved in. Okay, when we feel the pull, that's the old master that we used to be chained to. But we're freed from. And see, he, Satan works through him to get to us, according to Ephesians 2. He tries to make us think that we're him and he's us. But he's not us and we're not him. So... The real you is your regenerated spirit, righteous and holy. And you have the privilege of saying, even though you feel that pull, it's not me. It's not me. I reject that. I claim my union with Jesus. And immediately that pull subsides. Just like that. Give it a try. Man, hallelujah. That is absolutely free. When you understand, that is not me. I used to think that just because I felt this pull, I thought, well, I don't remember choosing this sin, but I must have because I feel this pull. No, no, And so I would confess and go down. You know, every preacher knows what it's like to be preaching away and have that moment where the Spirit of God just moves and a series of paragraphs comes out of your mouth that was not in your notes. And it's almost like you're out here watching it <laughs> and, uh, and uh, so on. And then you have that climax statement. And then there's the dramatic pause as you're trying to remember where you were in your notes. <laughs> and in the dramatic pause, I'd have this thought. That was really good, man. You are getting good, man. And because I didn't understand what I'm preaching on at this moment, in that same dramatic pause, it's now getting more long, longer, 
I would, in my heart, say, oh, God, forgive me this stinking pride, whatever, whatever. And I would go down, and we would lose something in the service. Well, and all I needed to do was, oh, that's not me. I reject that. I claim Jesus. Keep going. You get it? What a difference. What a radical difference. And finally, the way of escape is trustworthy. God is faithful every time. Why? Because it's Jesus. He's the way. And he's always available, and he's always dependable. And friends, when we take him, his life in us, down here to deal with the world and the flesh, or us in him, his authority to deal with the enemy, he never fails. And sometimes people say, well, preacher, you just don't understand my past. You don't understand. Even, even though I'm saved, I make all these wrong choices. I am so ingrained in what I'm doing. It's just no hope. Now, wait a second. Do you realize that from the day you got saved to this day, every time you were tempted, Jesus was there? But maybe you didn't take him. But here's the good news. Do you know that this side of heaven, every time you're tempted, every time without fail, Jesus is there. Take him. His divine ability to deal with the world of the flesh. His divine authority to overrule the enemy. Take him. And you'll experience Jesus himself as the way of escape. Let's bow our heads for prayer. My friends, tonight, just very quickly, let me just ask you this. I wonder who would say, preacher, going back to the customized provision, the down here stuff, the billboard, the irritating circumstances, the abrasive comments, I get it, I get it. It's coming together. Galatians 2.20, Christ in you. Take his life, his purity, his love, uh, whatever's needed. And so when you act, now he empowers you. And God is showing me how this is going to make a difference when it comes to the physical realm uh, uh, stuff that we have to deal with every day. I wonder who would say, Preacher, God's opening my eyes. Would you raise the hand, please? Yes, 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 yes. How many would say, Preacher, when you want, talked about the authority in Christ at the throne over the enemy, the fiery darts, God's opening my eyes. I can think right now of times when I just went down because I didn't understand what to do, but now I see it. And God's going to use this truth to make a difference. Would you raise the hand, please? Yes, 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 yes. Many hands. It's a wonderful truth. It's liberating. It really is. And, of course, the, the combined causes where you apply both truths. I wonder who would say, you know, you mentioned the time-sensitive matter. That's where I'm blowing it. I get tempted. I dabble around. Next thing I know, I'm going down. And I realize now that the reason why I feel overwhelmed, the reason why I feel like I don't have a choice, it's because when I did have a choice, I made the wrong choice. And God has shown me I need to take the way of escape immediately. That was for me. Would you raise the hand, please? Yes, 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 yes. I wonder who would say, Preacher, you talked about the preventative part of this. Wow. I always just confess, confess, confess when I need to just start saying, No, I reject that. I claim my union with Jesus so that I experience the escape. That was for me. Would you raise the hand, please? Yes, 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 yes. And then, of course, Jesus is trustworthy. Friends, he really is. In his availability, in his dependability. I wonder who would say, preacher, I needed to have that brought into focus in my thinking. Would you raise the hand? Yes, 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 yes. And then let me ask this. Is there someone that would say, preacher, I'm not even saved. If I died right now, I'd drop into hell. And I need to take Jesus as the way of escape from hell. And he is that too. I wonder who would say, preacher, that's my need. Anyone at all. I need to get saved from sin and hell. That is my need. 
Now, Lord, I pray that you'll bless. Thank you for that uh, one who raised the hand. Thank you. Lord, would you bless in these final moments how we need you. Lord, may we take you as our provision, the way of escape. Lord, do something that goes far beyond this invitation. And Lord, for that one who needs to take you as the Savior from hell, may they do so even tonight. With their heads bowed, would you take some time to talk to the Lord about what he's talking to you about? And friend, if you know that you need to take Jesus as the Savior from sin and hell, in other words, you need to be born again. You need to have the whole process started. Let me encourage you. Before you leave tonight, would you talk to the pastor or someone that you know will be a help to you and say, look, I need to get saved. They'll know what that's about. And you can walk out of here tonight saved, delivered from hell. Now Christ will move in. You'll be placed into him so that now this other provision can be experienced. But friends, you do need to be born of the Spirit before you can ever walk in the Spirit. And so if that is your need, you uh, please don't leave tonight without coming to Jesus in salvation. into him and he's placed into you. What a glorious day that will be. Let that be today. Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are truth personified. We thank you that truth always makes free. In Jesus' name. Escape hell and to enter into this life. Just slip out now. Mike's in the back. I won't. I won't prolong it. I don't know who that was. If you want to see me afterwards, that's fine as well. But just don't leave without that hope, please. Holy Spirit of God, we, we ask you tonight to continue to work in our hearts, continue to drive these, these thoughts, some of the, even some of the stories that we heard, they just, they just go against the grain with which we've been taught. And God, just because sometimes they sound like strange fire, 
it might be more of a realistic that we have no fire. And that we don't understand your ministry in our life. And Father, I thank you for allowing the Holy Spirit to open up our eyes these nights. And Father, we ask that, Lord, your Spirit would continue to work in our lives. And we pray all this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. How many of you are glad you were here tonight? It's amazing the, the authority that you have. And by the way, it's not you. <laughs> it's Jesus. So it's not arrogant for you and I. It's not like we come out here and we, you know, puff our chests and, you know, think we're something great. No, no, no. It's access in Jesus Christ. And uh, I am thankful, thankful, thankful. You pray, and uh, I am trying my hardest to get Brother Van Gelderen to come back next year. Okay? And uh, so we'll just, we'll have to fly their family out, and we'll just do what we have to do. Getting the rig out here, again, will be a, a little bit difficult. It's such a long uh, journey, and he only kind of does that every three years. But uh, I would love to allow his ministry to continue to uh, work in our church. And uh, the reason why, it's, it's, it's a ministry of the word. Amen? And uh, I'm, I'm so thankful for that. And uh, Brother Van Gelder, would you please um, head to the back there? And uh, Pastor Mike, if you can take his wife as well to the back there. Please express your, express your gratitude to them. And then also in the back, Mr. Ron 